Hello, welcome to Hospice Insights, the law and beyond, where we connect you to what matters in the ever-changing world of hospice and palliative care. COVID-19, hospice how-to. 30 billion in relief funds made available, but strings are attached. On Friday, April 10th, the government began dispersing 30 billion in relief funds directly to Medicare providers, including hospices. The use of those funds, however, is subject to a number of terms and conditions that raise significant questions. Failure to adhere to those terms and conditions could require the hospice to return those funds or could result in liability in future audits or enforcement actions. In this episode, Meg and Brian analyze those terms and conditions and provide a framework for how hospices should begin analyzing these requirements and establishing systems for compliance that mitigates against those risks. Um, the world is fast and furious here, so thanks for making the time to to talk about these relief fund uh, dollars. So thanks. Oh, you're very well, you're very welcome, and we could probably have a daily podcast if we wanted to to capture all the new information that's out there. But we'll spare the listeners from that. And uh, but this is a big one. This is a very important uh, event that happened, and. It's some it's something that may take some providers a little bit by surprise once they dig into the details and see what's behind this thirty billion dollars of funds that has uh, been released. Yeah, and to to set the stage here, and I think something that will be important uh, for hospices to consider is how this fits into the other funds they may be getting from the government, whether or not that's your Medicare per diem payments, if it is I've applied for a payroll payroll protection act um, loan, have I also, you know, under the, the family first act, if I'm getting payroll credits and all that stuff, there's a lot of moving parts here. And I think more to come from us on these podcasts as we try to to understand these terms and perhaps get more guidance from the government. But I, I think why you and you, uh, Brian and I wanted to have this conversation today is because this these funds hit people's bank accounts Friday or today. And I think it's important for people to take swift action in terms of um, sort of hitting the pause, so to speak, in in terms of, um, you know, what you should do now since you have this money. And it's a little bit of a hot potato because it's in your account. um, And so you essentially have to reject it if you don't want it. But so so let's start because what I want to do today is to to not give all the answers because we don't know them, but talk about what's the framework that you have to consider. So first, Brian, why don't you set the stage of what these funds are, where they came from, and what these terms and conditions that we're going to be referencing throughout uh, today's podcast, what they are? Sure. These funds are part of the CARES Act, which we've talked about before on this podcast. Uh, in the CARES Act, there was $100 billion of relief funding allocated. Uh, the the fund that started hitting uh, uh, Medicare providers last week and this week is the first $30 billion of that. So those are being allocated pursuant to a particular formula that's laid out at the HHS website. 
there's 70 billion more dollars to come at some future time. It may be under different rules to different persons, but at least for now we know there's this 30 billion dollars. And I did some rough math to try to figure out well, how much can a hospice expect to provide? And you can check uh, to make sure you're getting the allocation that you're supposed to get by doing going to the formula on the website. But my calculation, it's about a, a little less than a month's worth of, worth of revenue uh, that you averaged in 2019. So that's what you should probably expect to get. When you get that payment, it's gonna have a, a reference to HHS payment. It's gonna come from a place called Optum Bank which is the private entity that contracted with the government to be the clearinghouse for all of those payments. So if it's an unusual payment source, and we've gotten calls from clients saying, I have no idea what this money is for or what it's from, it's the relief funds. If it's HHS payment from Optum Bank, that's exactly what this is. It comes with some strings attached, though. And if you dig into that payment and, and how it's publicized by HHS, you'll see that there's a set of terms and conditions that you can link to to find out what you need to do in order to retain and use those funds. Uh, one of the first things is uh, an attestation requirement. So what the government expects is that within 30 days of your receiving those funds, uh, you will need to uh, obtain an attestation, which is going to be available at the DHS website and sign that attestation confirming uh, that uh, you will use those funds or your use of those funds will be consistent with the terms and conditions. Um, if, you, if you don't sign that attestation, uh, they're going to assume that you agree to those terms and conditions anyway. Uh, if you don't think you're going to use those funds, then there's a process to return those funds to the government, either if you don't qualify for them in your view or for some other reason there's a way to return those funds to the government. So that's all kind of setting up the context around the terms and conditions um, that we can kind of begin getting into as they set that up. But just be, be aware, there's a lot of, uh, even before you get to the terms and conditions, there's some paperwork, some documents that have to be done just to make sure you're getting these funds and can retain them. Got it. So, <clears throat> and I think, and we're recording this on Monday, April 13th. And so we think that that, attestation language is going to be available on the website that you referenced here very shortly. And so we don't know exactly what that's going to say, but it's going to say something like you agree to these terms and conditions. So, and, and we're not going to read those obviously on this podcast uh, and we're going to be releasing a hospice tool with this podcast that breaks down sort of the construct we talked about today. I want to focus on um, sort of what is it that you can use these funds for? But but even before we go there, so you got to think about do you do you want to keep these funds? And if so, you're going to have to sign this attestation. But maybe before you do anything, trying to get these in a segregated account is something we are our, our leadership of our firm's healthcare practice met this weekend to, to strategize and brainstorm about this. And I think this is a really important nugget of create a segregated account from the get-go uh, so you can track this money more clearly. Absolutely. That was the very first reaction a lot of us had to these funds is uh, 
uh, set them aside in a separate account. And as we go through some of these terms and conditions and the documentation requirements that come with it, you'll see why it makes sense to do that. Because you want to be able to say, here's what I did with each one of those dollars. Here's where it went to. Here's why it was eligible to go to that purpose. Uh, and that way you can uh, have that paper trail left behind uh, in the coming months or years. Uh, the reason that's important is because this is going to be subject to an audit. Uh, and in some, for some providers, they'll need to provide, uh, you know, submit quarterly reports about their use of those funds. So you need to leave that paper trail. It's assumed it's going to be audited by the government to confirm that you followed these terms and conditions. The, the, uh, the risk that you're trying to mitigate against is the government several months or years from now saying you didn't document the appropriate use of those funds, so you're going to have to pay them back. Or worse, uh, maybe they think that there was some uh, intentionally inappropriate use of those funds. Uh, and if you didn't document it well, you're, you're not going to have that paper trail to demonstrate the appropriate use of those funds. So you might be leaving yourself open to an accusation that there's a false claims involved here, whether it's through a government investigation or an internal whistleblower who sees how these funds were used and doesn't agree with them and decides you know, they want to alert the government that there was a problem with these. So the segregated account is going to be critical to allow the documentation of the use of those funds to flow from that. Yeah, and and I think that that folks always think lawyers are the wet blanket and the, you know glass half half empty. But I do think that the amount of money coming from the government and everything that comes out generally says you can't double dip. That that there is so much money coming out, and they're really trying to provide relief that there could be cleanup on the back end um, because. There is just so much money, uh, and and the thing is, this is this is very complicated too about how these different you know moving parts work together. And so I think you know both recognizing yes, this is great, we have this money, but then being prudent and and really trying to understand how this um, you know works together because there there is some back end uh, risk here and even if the government doesn't choose to go after you as you said perhaps a, a private whistleblower uh, might do that so um, all right so then it talks about uh, what we can use these funds for and I'll say it generally as COVID related expenses and revenue losses and. Why don't you break that down for me, Brian, about the types of things that they're saying you could, you know, qualifies for use of this money. Now, we're not talking about specific expenses, but we've been talking about them as, as sort of threshold uh, requirements. So, so why don't you walk us through that, Brian? Sure. Yeah, I think, I think there's really four, at least four significant threshold requirements. One of them is really what's your provider type what what is what are the qualities of your of you as a provider um being uh, being a provider that billed medicare in 2019 you're not terminated from the program a lot of those are going to be black and white it's going to be yes or no one that's a little fuzzy is that you have to currently provide diagnoses testing or care for individuals with possible or actual cases of covid-19 
So as a provider, you have to ask yourself, do you fall into that category? It seems like a very broad category. You're, you're providing care for individuals with possible or actual cases. We're almost a nationwide lockdown here. Uh, is everybody a possible person with COVID-19 given that? Uh, it seems like a pretty broad uh, gatekeeper role here. So that's a provider-centric threshold requirement. After that, you get into some payment-specific threshold requirements where you're looking at the actual payment itself, not the provider type, the hospice. So I think those, there's really three of them that that are payment specific. The first one is that you, per these terms and conditions, you have to commit that the funds will be used to prevent, prepare for, or respond to coronavirus. Uh, so Again, very broad language used there as you're, as you're identifying a particular expense, a cost uh, expense or a, a loss. Is it somehow relating to the prevention, preparation, and response to coronavirus? So that's the first gatekeeping, or that's the, first, the, the, that's the second threshold rule, the first payment-specific one. After that, you want to commit that the funds are used only for healthcare-related expenses or lost revenues that are attributable to coronavirus. So as you're going through expenses, you gotta ask yourself the question, is this healthcare related? Is that's attributable to coronavirus? Is this a lost revenue attributable to coronavirus? Uh, if you can answer yes to either of those questions, then you know, so far so good. So you're, you're the right provider type. It relates to preparation, prevention, or response to coronavirus. It's either healthcare related or lost revenue um, attributable to coronavirus. The fourth threshold question is you have to confirm that uh, you're not going to use the payment to reimburse expenses or losses that have been reimbursed from other sources or that other sources are obligated to reimburse. You can't use these funds to cover funds that would have been covered anyway by some other source. And that's really the extent of the language they have about those four thresholds. And going through them, you can you can see from a lawyer's perspective anyway, boy, there's a lot of gray area and wiggle room uh, in those in those threshold requirements that we can play around with as lawyers and providers, but maybe the government is going to take a much more strict view of it when it comes time for them to audit these. So this is where the caution comes in. Got to carefully evaluate each one of those thresholds um, and, and put each potential covered expense under the microscope with those and make sure you're going to be confident that it's going to be covered. And I think that, that Brian, <laughs> that's exactly right. And it is, um, I think as we've been evaluating this and will continue to do so, and I expect to have a follow-up podcast on this, think about the buckets of expenses and lost revenue people have and where they might fall on the continuum because, you know, there there's probably a whole lot more you could argue might be, um, you could allocate here, but ultimately there may be some business decision as to what you feel comfortable doing because at the end of the day, you need to be able to uh, defend this and have the documentation uh, to do so. And I, I think, too, I just got off a call about potential additional funding for PPE. So PPE is one of these uh, costs, additional costs, like your expenses for it, 
might have increased because it's like the per unit costs have gone up, your volume has gotten uh, has gone up, other things. I don't know exactly what this um, PPE funding will look like, but but again, if you're getting funding from elsewhere to cover this expense, you know the whole what you just got done saying is, is it being reimbursed by someone else or how? So, so I think that's an important consideration, as well as sort of these SBA loan issues and and whatnot. Yeah, and I think another emerging question that's going to require more attention is, what if it's a choice between these relief funds or a loan? The relief funds is ideally free money if you follow the terms and conditions. The government isn't expecting a repayment of those, whereas a loan you know, maybe it'll be forgiven, but maybe not. Uh, maybe it'll have interest attached to it. Uh, so if you have something like the, this this potential future PPE reimbursement program or expense covering, if that's a loan of some sort, wouldn't you be better off using free money through this relief fund than PPE loan money? Uh, right now, like you had mentioned, we don't have all the answers and the sparse language on these terms and conditions don't give a lot of guidance. The government may come out with more guidance or as these additional programs roll out, they might show how they relate to one another. But right now we gotta make the decisions based upon what we do know and what we can know. And a lot of that depends on making reasonable decisions that are backed by kind of health care related and business judgments that are sound and make sense and every step of the way documenting it from how you met the four threshold requirements through how you track the use of the funds. You may attest that you, you know, would plan to use these funds in this way, but you may end up saying, yeah, I had expenses that fall into these buckets, however, not in equivalent to the sum that I received and you'd be refunding some money back. And so, I mean, I think there there is an opportunity to um, take a breath, so to speak. I think why we wanted to to get on a podcast is you want to set this up the right way and segregate it and begin looking at these questions sort of right away because you don't want to get down the road and use this money and then think about this later. You want to be doing it contemporaneous with with your use of those funds. So as you said, you can document this accordingly. Yeah, I think as tempting as it is to make immediate use of these funds, especially given some of the cash flow and other financial problems that coronavirus, COVID-19 has has caused. Meg, I think you, you, you mentioned early on, kind of hurry up and hit the pause button is, yeah. is one way to put it, is this is exciting news, this is promising news, but uh, hit that pause button, make sure you do it the right way so it can be good news in the long term. Uh, and and that, that means being thoughtful and careful about it. You know, and I, I think that some of the expenses that that people are uh, incurring right now might be more clearly fall within these buckets that might require less deliberation uh, than others. But again, I think having your team of people from the get-go that are evaluating this and even in large organizations having a team so you can provide consistency to this um, 
because obviously if you have a lot of different provider numbers and tax IDs, I mean, it's a lot to keep track of and, you know, you don't want to have one program doing one thing and another program doing another thing. And so I think consistency in how you're interpreting these things and applying them and then, of course, documenting them, which I think as we move to the documentation piece, and um, the documentation requirements refer to some provisions in the law that are, are not things that you and I uh, routinely uh, look at, Brian, um, because what appears to apply to these funds as it relates to documentation is if you got a grant from uh, the Department of Health and Human Services, what, what documentation requirements attach to those? Plus, there's some reference to accounting principles. And so I think bringing your auditors in or who does your accounting and cost reporting, I think will be really important to help you evaluate some of these questions. And I think some of the threshold questions, but also as we get into documentation, um, from an accounting standpoint, does this overlap with you know, what we're reporting elsewhere, getting reimbursed for. And so, so why don't you walk us through broad brush um, documentation uh, requirements for, you know, different categories of expenses and revenue losses. Well, sure. And just building off the point you just made, this, this I think, uh, needs to take a multidisciplinary approach. Uh, attorneys can help in terms and conditions. But what is healthcare related? You know, having clinicians in on that, uh, executives, uh, and leadership at the hospice, helping to define what has been the result of the coronavirus from a business standpoint, accountants, cost reporting folks to to help make sure that all of this can be tracked and allocated and described in an appropriate and reimbursable way. Uh, so for some of the complex ones, you, you might need to engage that full team to get through it. Uh, but in terms of, of the documentation requirements, Meg, you know, there, it does refer to some regulatory provisions that, that I am not, it's not the kind of uh, work I go in and out of every day, but it's more akin to what's involved in cost reporting, uh, what, uh, what kind of documents people go, uh, um, what, what kind of documents are created to withstand a future audit. So, you know, we can, we can talk about generally what are kinds of expenses that you can uh, account for, or that, that maybe there's specific examples of expenses that need to be reported in a particular way to satisfy a cost requirement or a cost reporting requirement. So I guess that's what I would say about this is you got to engage your, your cost reporting accounting people so you know you're documenting it the way that these government regulations would require. And I think that the, you know, for hospice cost reporting, unlike other Medicare providers and because obviously these funds went out to all these different Medicare providers, our cost report, our rates aren't adjusted based on our cost report. And but we are paid a per diem that says you're supposed to cover everything related to the terminal illness and related conditions. And so, you know, I think this idea of of um, what you're already getting paid for. Um, you know, both in terms of, well, if our cost for PPE went up, you know, tenfold, you know, that, that, that it, 
our cost report and, and saying, you know, our expenses went up tenfold isn't going to adjust the amount of money uh, that we get. And so I think the cost report is, is something that's important to understand in the mix here. Um, but, but, you know, isn't as perhaps determinative of whether or not we get other payment as, you know, providers who, who actually there's some type of true up uh, in terms of expenses and, and your rates and whatnot. So there could be some general expenses related to actually caring for COVID positive patients. Or there could also be specific costs. Um, and this could be, you know, staffing potentially, um, needs, but I guess what, what other ideas on the specific costs uh, are things that, that are jumping out at, at people, Brian? Right. Well, I think uh, what, are, what are the expenses relating to telehealth? Telehealth has become increased in usage and allowed. So how have those, had that, has that increased costs? Are there more kind of hard costs in terms of technology? Uh, has it cost more in terms of personnel costs? You know, what what is that increase in cost been? So, so I guess the technological type items we've uh, uh, we've had people encounter more HR issues uh, relating to this, where they're dealing with uh, employees who are exposed, and now they have to work with HR professionals, maybe HR counsel, to figure out how do we deal with the exposed exposed personnel in terms of treating patients or caring for patients, how does that affect that whole that whole landscape? So uh, lost revenue might be a source, uh, uh, might come from a number of sources. So for example, if, uh, if um, you're gonna have a fundraiser and that's been canceled because of COVID, is it lost revenue that can fall into uh, being reimbursable by this fund? Uh, a lot of hospices may have a retail or resale shop, and if that had to be closed to meet with government guidelines on social distancing, what about that lost revenue? And I think, Brian, what we've been gathering is sort of examples from folks, because I don't think you and I know the, the answers to those questions uh, about, you know, the I have to close my shop. I was able. I had to cancel this fundraiser. Is, does that constitute lost revenue? My census went way down. Um, does that mean that there's lost revenue, or my inpatient unit is way down? I mean, I, I think those are things that you and I have want to give more consideration to. But I think in terms of you know, if I were running a hospice. I think starting now to think to ask these questions and put together your list so you can start you refining your thinking on this and, and then bringing in as you said your multidisciplinary team as you evaluate this um, and perhaps we'll get additional clarity from the government on some of these points but but right now I think getting things on the table uh, early in for consideration and then um, so because again you need to be contemporaneously documenting these things and I think based on the conversations we've been having so far you know it, I think there's a, a broad continuum, some much more clear than others would 
you know, be covered by these funds. So I think casting a wide net so you're evaluating all of your expenses and losses and using this as a filter and then making, you know, sound business decisions that are supported by accounting principles. And so there is a reference, Brian, in this, um, in the terms and conditions to these procedures, these written procedures you should have. Can you can you speak to that a bit more? Sure. So what, what you'll need to do is uh, you'll have to have uh, written procedures to show that the costs meet the principles. So what I hear you saying, Brian, is that it is important to apply these filters and then be able to document your decision making and um, and do so in a manner that that meets you know accounting principles and and because um, I think in in times like this where there's not a lot of guidance, what are some other things you can relate to to help support uh, your determination that these are indeed, you know, attributable loss revenue or expenses. And, and so it, as with everything, I feel like every podcast we say documentation is really critical. And I think this um, is going to be an area too where documentation is, is critical, but more maybe from the finance side than the, the clinical side here. But so, so Brian, with all of this being said, and, you know, I think this is where we started very good news that, that there's a, a recognition that healthcare providers are having to step up the plate and incur a lot of expenses and, and uh, lost revenue and all of that stuff. Um, so that's really good, but but I guess where where do you leave things here, Brian? What what should people do now? Well, I think uh, I think uh, as you had mentioned, there is time to do this evaluation. Uh, you have the funds. You have at least thirty days, and probably more, to make sure you're looking at your expenses, at your losses, that you're progressing through the threshold requirements making sure you can document whatever you hope to get reimbursed for in the manner that these terms and conditions require. Uh, and then once you're comfortable that all the documentation is in place or can be put in place, then you can start dispersing those funds. Uh, there's no requirement that the funds be used in a specific amount of time. Uh, now, it may come down the road that they're going to ask for that kind of an accounting, but right now, uh, it's it, it's funds that you have. You can evaluate. Uh, you can be thoughtful about applying them in the right way after you've documented it. And Meg, I agree with you. We do talk a lot about documentation, uh, and, and I think that might just be the subject or, or the the result of uh, hospices being audited regularly and all Medicare providers being audited on medical front, on other documentation. And now, more specifically, on the use of these kinds of funds. And the key to having a successful audit is often that great documentation. So you'll be doing yourselves a, a big favor by documenting now and not running into problems down the road when the government decides to figure out what happened to that $30 billion, how, how effective of a program was it? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So I, I think that's exactly exactly right, Brian. And um, I think more to come on this, but but I think that at, at this point in time, hospices are getting that that sequestration money back. So that's going to be hitting, and we have these funds. And so I think it is prudent, Brian, like you said, of of segregating. Uh, these funds in this other account and not, you know, mixing them with your general operating funds so you can do this type of analysis and and track it, um, you know, separately from the get-go. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you may very well be refunding some of this money if you don't use all of it. And, again, there's not a lot of discussion. <laughs> the terms and conditions are are short but meaty, but don't get into um, how you would refund these these funds, other than obviously if you don't sign the attestation, they'll be taken away from you. But um, so I, I think there, there will probably be more logistics that come out on that. But I think, Brian, this is a really helpful conversation to get people started on the right track and thinking about this. Uh, and, you know, as leaders of, of healthcare organizations, critical to develop that team now and be aware of this and sort of set, set the stage and then um, work through these issues over the next weeks to come. So, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Start getting in the right mindset to make these decisions, and then we'll be there with further guidance and obviously always available to walk you through. Uh, fact-specific scenarios, because we expect there to be a lot of unique situations coming up from this. So hopefully this framework has been helpful, but really the work is going to get going to be done in the case-by-case -case analysis of each particular expense or loss. Uh, and, and we're here to help throughout all that, that throughout that entire process. That's a great point. Uh, and Brian, we'll be publishing with the podcast our framework that we walk through in today's podcast so people will have that as a resource as well as some other attachments. And as always, they can go to the Hush Blackwell COVID Toolkit page that uh, will continue to have oodles of information on COVID and the daily changes and in all aspects. And what is fantastic about our firm is that we do have an interdisciplinary approach to practicing in the healthcare space. So we have the labor and employment perspective. And we talked to Tom O'Day uh, last week about Families First uh, Act. And then, you know, we have people that are spending all of their time looking at the Payroll Protection Act and, and whatnot. And so we're able to brainstorm these things from, from multiple different perspectives, which ultimately I think is what needs to be done because uh, all these funds you're not going to be able to claim twice and so I think that uh, that's something that we as a firm will be continuing to to contemplate about how these all this money you know how it may overlap and and how you need to prevent uh, you know, getting any double payments. So anyway, Brian, I really appreciate your time and in short notice jumping on this and doing this podcast. I think it will be helpful to our listeners 
And as always, if you have thoughts and ideas about our podcast, additional things you want us to cover, uh, we'd really welcome that. 